Welcome to Fast Talk, the Velo News podcast and everything you need to know to ride like a pro. Happy New Year's, Fast Talk friends. We're excited to be speeding into 2020 with our new company, Fast Labs. For starters, and due to popular demand, Fast Talk will now be a weekly show. Starting next week, you can expect a new bonus episode of Fast Talk. And these bi-monthly episodes will be a bit shorter than the traditional Fast Talk episode you're used to, but in them you'll find similar detailed scientific physiology explanations, special interviews with your favorite pros, coaches, and experts, and we'll also regularly answer your questions. To that end, thank you to the listeners who called and left us a voicemail over the holidays. We'll be recording a special listener questions episode in the next week, so be sure to get your questions in as soon as you can. The number to call is 719-800-2112. Again, to call and leave a question for Coach Trevor and I, just dial 719-800-2112 and leave us an actual honest-to-goodness voicemail. If we can hear you loud and clear in the message, we may include the recording in the show. Now, episode 91. The focus of this episode can be simply summarized in a single, powerful sentiment. There is great value in keeping track of your numbers, at analyzing the data you've gathered with your power meter, your heart rate strap, or other device. But if all you do is focus on the numbers and make them the end goal themselves, you're missing out on very critical aspects of your training. So the underlying message of episode 91 is simple. Think of the numbers not as the target or the goal, but as a tool. And what we will emphasize today are the many critical aspects of training and coaching that don't show up in the numbers. We will go beyond the numbers. Our primary guest is a very successful former professional cyclist turned coach, Julie Young, whose road racing career stretched over a decade with teams including Saturn and Timex. She continues to race today at a very high level across multiple disciplines and is currently part of the talented team behind the Kaiser Permanente Sports Medicine Endurance Lab in California. We're also joined by Koner of the Cycling Gym, Coach Steve Neal, as well as Trek Segafredo's Ruth Winder, the reigning American national champion on the road. Now, set your preferred analytics software aside for a minute. Let's focus on you, your brain, and this moment. Let's make you fast. Ready to take your training and racing to the next level? We're proud to introduce the Fast Labs Performance Experience Training Camps. Combining our devotion to science with our passion for sport, we've developed a world-class experience modeled after World Tour team camps, the likes of which are typically reserved for the most elite cyclists. Now, bringing it to you to help you gain a better understanding of the science of human performance. In partnership with the incredible staff at the University of Colorado Sports Medicine and Performance Center, we'll guide you through pro-caliber physiological testing, biomechanical analysis, and nutritional assessment. Throughout the camp, leading experts in sports science will present on the latest developments in their fields. Oh, and you'll also get to ride on the gorgeous mountain roads of Boulder with Coach Trevor Connor and myself. Check out fastlabs.com, enter Fast Labs 2020 as the discount code and receive $500 off a purchase 
at this performance experience training camp. So the quick history behind what initiated or, or brought about this episode is actually Julie and I were having a conversation back and forth on email. And we were talking about something that, that we've heard in feedback before, which is in some ways on the, the show, we're a little contradictory. Here we, we try to be very scientific about the training, which really lends itself to talking a lot about the numbers. And, and we have dived deep into power and heart rate and, and all the metrics. But at the same time, every once in a while, this theme comes across of don't be too reliant on the numbers. And we have been asked, so which is it? Are, are the numbers king or should we, we not be looking at the numbers? And that's what Julie reached out to me about. We had this great conversation over email. And at some point during the email, I said, we need to get you on the show. Let's, let's talk about this because she, she had really great perspective on this. And we're going to go pretty deep into this conversation on today's episode. But I would say the one sentence summary is there is a great value to the numbers. Uh, they can really help training. And we're going to talk a little bit about what some of the values are. But on the flip side, if all you do is focus on the numbers, if you make the numbers the end goal themselves, you are missing out on very critical sides of the training. So think of the numbers not as the goal or the target or the end-all, be-all, but a tool. And what we're going to talk a lot about today are the very important sides of coaching and training that don't show up in the numbers. Julia, is that a, a good kind of one, two sentence summary? It is. And I don't think it's a one or the other. It's just a balance and using both, you know, just the numbers. I think, as you pointed out, they're fantastic. There's they're such a great way to communicate, to create a system that's quantifiable um, to understand what is to happen, what was to happen, and what did happen, um, but there's a balance, and I think it's it's always keeping that perspective, and then also just really giving respect and um, appreciation for the mental side of it, and that I think there's this balance between the numbers and then the mindset. Chris and I were actually talking about that right before we got on this call of. I think we need to do some more episodes on, on the mental side, and I'm really glad we're going to go into that here because when you talk to top pros, the higher the level they are, the the less interested, at least from my experience, less interested they are in talking about particulars of intervals and the more they talk about the importance of that mindset mm -hmm. in racing and in training. The amateur racer, perhaps because they don't have the the time to focus on everything so they focus on the things that are a bit easier to measure and that's the power heart rate and it's just one of those things it's like everybody's on power now so that you have to focus there and and then yeah you're forgetting a 50 percent of the or more depending on uh, you know your argument of what it takes to be at your best well before we dive into sort of the the balancing act, the mental side of things. Let's just do a recap of, of the, the things that uh, numbers are great at doing, the value in using numbers. I don't know if uh, Trevor, you, Trevor and Julie, this question is both for you. What is the value of number focusing? For me, it is, it is a 
a clear way to communicate and it is a clear way to I hate to use the word prescribe but it is prescribe like what what is to happen and and then also creates a, a system and a quantifiable progression um, so that's that's where I think there's value I think as a communication tool it, it's hugely helpful you know a lot of us coaches work with athletes who are far away, and if all we got was descriptions of their rides, we really wouldn't know what's going on. Uh, that said, this gets back to your balance. I, I've worked with athletes who record every single bit of data. They have multiple power meters, but I can't get them to write more than a two-word description of their rides, and I find that equally as, as difficult to see what's going on and keep telling them, I, I need the descriptions. I need to hear what was going on. Mm -hmm. So that that again is about that that balance. But you know, I think the other things the the numbers allow is is analysis. Uh, it shows trends. Uh, it gives you targets for workouts, which can be helpful. And again, you have to be a little bit careful there. Um, so there's there is a a lot you can do with it. But Julian, one of the email conversations we had, you brought up something that I think was a, a fantastic point. Uh, which I'd love for you to expand a little bit on is numbers are a fantastic tool, but they shouldn't be the goal. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, I think you guys have really done a great job on on this podcast of just trying to keep the perspective. I mean, I think we are so fortunate as cyclists to have power as our our oftentimes our metric for for training and and those quantifiable targets. Uh, I think people have lost a bit of perspective on that, and I know you guys have have mentioned this as well. But oftentimes, you know, with the FTP test, for example, it becomes kind of a competition in and of itself, and the abbreviated FTP te tests, and then these great power numbers. And I think people forget the whole reason we're trying to, you know, quantify that number is so we can then develop good training levels or zones, however you want to refer to them. And I think people are kind of missing the point there that, you know, this is not like the power number isn't a competition in and of itself. It's simply a tool. And we're kind of shooting ourselves in the foot when we're trying to, you know, create like create a competition out of it because we're, we're missing those important ingredients in our training, which are developed based on those good training zones and those, those, that good data that's developing those training zones. But I also want to step back, Trevor, and I agree with you. Like, I think a big part of this is the relationship between the coach and the athlete, that it can't simply be based on, you know, analyzing the data that's in training peaks because there's so much that can be missed. And I think it's really creating that relationship, that communication that allows you to fill in all the details around the data. Another question for both of you guys what are some of the dangers of focusing too much on the numbers? Trevor? So I see two things here. One is some of the important energy systems to train take a long, long time to develop. And if you are watching numbers and looking for numbers to change, that can get very, very discouraging because you can spend months training and really not see that much of a difference. As a matter of fact, in some of these numbers, I've shown this to people. Uh, I've, I've compared my numbers back when I was a Cat 4, getting popped in Cat 4 races, to when I was racing pro. And the numbers really weren't that different. Mm. 
if you looked at those numbers, I didn't improve at all, but obviously there was a big difference in my performance. Mm -hmm. So I think if you are making the numbers a goal and you're training effectively, it can get discouraging because you're not really seeing the changes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Doesn't um, seem like you're making any progress at all. Right. The other thing, we had an episode about a year and a half ago where we had Dr. Butke on the show where we talked about ego versus task orientation, um, where ego is really focusing on uh, how you stack up versus others or even how you, you stack up against yourself over time, where task orientation is very much what's the job I need to get done in order to improve my training. And, and ego orientation um, has a, a negative effect of you can get easily discouraged. And when you get discouraged, you, you start wanting to quit. And my belief is if you focus too much on the numbers as a goal, you become very ego oriented. You're, you're, you're needing to see that number change. And that gets you away from focusing on the task at the time, a task at hand and focusing on, on what's my training plan? Where am I trying to get to the, the, the bigger picture? takes you away from seeing the bigger picture in a sense because you're so focused on an individual number that if you don't hit it you get that sense of discouragement and you get off track whereas if you're stepping back and you have a, a, a list of 10 tasks that you must complete if you, and they're smaller bite-sized chunks then you can slowly but surely work your way through that list and julie sorry we're stealing some of your thunder here because these were points that you made in the email conversation. So do you want to expand on this? No problem. Um, yeah, so I think ag agreed that for me, like again, the FTP tests are, are tricky because it is a, it's a great way to, to create that measurement and that, that target. But I also think to your point, Trevor, people are kind of missing the point that there's so much happening that we can't understand through those tests, like physiologically and metabolically that you know, the, the improvements that, that are happening kind of under the skin, we can't measure those in the test. And so, you know, people like, again, the power numbers aren't going to infinitely keep getting better. There's, there's always going to be a ceiling, but it's the riders becoming more efficient. There's less stress to the systems at those power numbers. And I you can't quantify that in an FTP test. So I think, you know, to your point, that's that's it's tough to just go off those numbers, and then I I think we're we're probably going to talk about this a little bit later, but I agree, like in terms of kind of the motivation and you know ego versus task orientation, or you know really trying to tap into more that intrinsic motivation, like why are you doing this? And I feel like that is such an important factor in a really healthy relationship with athletics and, and the bike. Um, so I think that's something really important to, to dive into. When we were talking with Steve Neal at the cycling gym, we asked him about this mental side of training and if he could see it in the software. What are elements of training that you think are really important that don't show up in WKO, don't show up on, on a graph? So, you know, I, I use a lot of different kinds of software when I look at, you know, WKO5 and a today's plan and exert and I use them all with my athletes. And it's very interesting that, you know, exert can maybe even start to help us point out where a possibility of uh, the mental side of things or maybe the ability to suffer um, is missing and might need some practice. 
so it's funny, you know, I, I would have said that the mental aspect wasn't able to be seen in software, but, but I think it's starting to, I think we're starting to see that, you know, I've, I have used that software to compare different time trials or climbs or with, with athletes that have been in the same event. And it's kind of interesting when you see how they both do it. So, you know, normally I would have agreed and said, maybe this mental part doesn't show up in software, but I think it's starting to at least, uh, give us an insight. A lot of people use step tests in a variety of ways. And if you, if you take a step test and, and put it into exert, you can see that a lot of people finish one step before they could keep going. And even in race data, the same thing kind of, so that to me applies when you're riding hard with someone else, it's really a saying of can't or won't, you know, I don't know where that, I, I can't remember the person who I learned that from my friend always says it. And he always tells me he didn't invent it, but can't or won't is kind of an interesting thing that does show up in that software. And, and then you can actually sort of address that through training and, you know, cause it's funny. And, you know, we went through some percentages of the split at the gym and there's, you know, it sounds like a lot of high intensity training, but when you look at the split, it's five to 10%. And so some of that training can be used for your mind and it doesn't always have to be used for your VO2 or your anaerobic capacity. It, it can be used to practice, to learn how to go that hard in a situation. Steve and I have both run trainer classes up in Toronto and I certainly learned a lot doing it. Here's a story of one of my experiences. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to share a story here of, of kind of the extreme, but what I always thought was almost a little bit enjoyable when I was seeing this is, is I've said on the show a few times that we, uh, that, that I used to teach a, a morning trainer class. So this would, we, we'd have 12 people in the room all coming in and doing the same workout and everybody would have their own little uh, box up on our TV screen showing what power they were mm. doing. And unfortunately they all showed everybody's FTP. <laughs> and I learned very quickly, nobody was coming in to really do the workout or they were coming in to do the workout, but that wasn't the focus. The focus was who's got the highest FTP. Right, right. And it, you you would see it in this class where you'd have people that they hadn't been training for a couple months. They were just starting up the season. And clearly that was no longer their FTP, but it was such a focus, such a goal, such a competition. You, you literally see them keeling over, falling off their bike, but going, but I did it. So my FTP is still 280 mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and just turned into this, this contest. And it wasn't, did I do the workout right? I just fell off my bike. Maybe I was doing that too hard. That was never the discussion. It was, no, mine's still 280 and his is 270. So I'm right. winning. Well, you're talking about competitive people in a room <laughs> with a target on the wall in front of them. Yeah. I think that uh, by nature, humans are uh, prone to going the, the easy route. And if you give them that, that uh, target, that single digit target out in the ether there, they're going to strive to hit it. And yeah. that, that's sometimes the, what, what causes the problems. Let's move beyond the numbers a bit and talk about the things that you don't get from focusing on the data. Julie, could you give us an overview of what that encompasses? So I, I think when people just focus on the numbers and they think that in training, just by hitting numbers, they're guaranteed a successful outcome in a race, 
I think that really marginalizes what it takes to put together a successful performance. Um, and I think, you know, for me, it's, it is really, training provides all those aspects of conditioning that lead to a successful performance. So it has to be more than just chasing numbers on the device. Yeah, so Julie and I, during our conversations, we came up with a list of some of the areas that both of us as coaches feel are absolutely critical to training, critical to performance that just don't show up in the numbers. So I'm just going to do the quick list and then we can take a deeper dive into each of these. But the first one is, I really like Julie's terminology for this, building mental and physical confidence. Uh, the next one that's a big one for me is knowing and focusing on the big picture. Um, and that includes having both balance and perspective and also having purpose and goals. So Julie, let's let's throw it back to you and tell us a little bit about what you mean by mental and physical confidence. So for me, and again, I, I go back to podcasts you guys have done and you talk about executing the the workouts and you know, I think you you guys did a great job explaining that you know, sound training is not this ever-changing like circus of workouts where you're simply just trying to entertain the athlete, but it's a, a core group of workouts that the athlete does better and better and better. And to me, execution is not about chasing a number on my power meter. It's about using that as a reference and definitely getting into that zone, but mentally like using that, tr that training session Put yourself in an upcoming race, like an important piece of an upcoming race, like visualizing yourself while you're doing this, this intense workout and mentally visualizing yourself in that, that part of that race. And I think thinking about ways that, you know, you, you mentally, you take your mind beyond the discomfort of the physical sensations and whether it's focusing on a fluid pedal stroke, your breathing, your posture, whatever it is, you know, but essentially, these are things that you're going to lean on in the race. I know for myself, like being in races, I'll fall back on, you know, a training session and just say to myself, hey, this is no big deal. This is just a hill interval. So for me, like the execution is really about, again, mentally using that interval to put yourself in an upcoming race versus just, again, chasing that power number or mentally taking off the time. And I think we really, we lose out on a lot of the benefits of training when we, when we approach it that way. And I feel like when, again, when you can attach this, this mental like visualization, you're going to glean so much more effectiveness out of your, your training sessions. Another example I'll give, this is one of my favorites because it's, it's just a, a pure example is hill climbing. Um, one of the things that I think is really valuable to get out of training is a, a sense of yourself, a sense of how hard can I do a five minute effort how, or a climb? How hard can I do a 10 minute? How hard can I do a 30 minute and really get a sense of your own limits. And you see that with riders who learn that and build that confidence in a race versus riders who don't have that confidence. Riders who don't know themselves well, who don't have that confidence when they hit the climb, they're just going to bury themselves to stay with the leaders until they absolutely explode. Where a, a really experienced, confident rider, when they hit that climb, they know, 
okay, I can handle a few surges at this pace. Um, they, they know the line of, if I go over this line, I'm going to explode and I'm going to avoid that at all, you know, as much as I can. And ultimately they know what is their pace for whatever the length of the climb is. And you see very experienced riders, they might respond to one or two surges, but if they assess this is too hard for me, they're actually going to let the leaders go drop into their own pace, knowing that's their best chance to get over the climb. And anybody who's watched the tour, you'll see this, where sometimes the tour leader gets attacked, doesn't respond at all because he just knows that's too hard for me, but I don't think this guy can, can hold that pace. And sure enough, 10 minutes later, they're bringing that person back. And that takes a huge amount of confidence. It takes a huge amount of self-awareness. And I, again, I think that's not, that, that's beyond knowing the numbers because the the numbers and training and the numbers of what you can do in a race are different it's it's a feel thing and it's a confidence thing i think for me too i i i think there's this this sense of like i think all the great like athletes and champions have this incredible sense of calm and composure and i think that's a huge part you know when you have that confidence it's just you create it's this calmness and you know, you can, you can deal with, with the situations. And, and again, I think in training, it gives you those, those, those mental focuses that, you know, again, it's not just chasing, like for me, just personally chasing a power number on my device. I feel like I'm wrestling my bike. I don't feel like I'm fast and efficient, but when I focus on, okay, pedal stroke, rhythm, breathing, posture, those kind of things, that makes me a, a better rider. And I think that's like, again, in the race situations, you know, to mentally take the focus there and, and find that calm and that composure to me, you know, results in, in, in a good performance. We talked to past U.S. national champion Ruth Winder with Trek Segafredo. She also brought up the importance of feel and knowing yourself on climbs. Let's hear what she had to say. What things do you look for in your fitness or try to train that you feel are really important, but just don't show up in the numbers at all? I think that that's just general feel. Like, I think I know how I feel when I'm going up a climb and I know how I feel when I feel good and I know how I feel when I feel bad. Um, so I just guess I look for that like general feeling of like, it's not hard almost, you know, like I know if I ride at 200 Watts and my heart rates, you know, one, 55 or something like that, then I know that I'm feeling pretty good. Like that's a really good sign for me. So I, I do you, know that that number. you numbers. I did use numbers, <laughs> but I don't know all of the numbers, but I know that those numbers, like I feel good about those ones. So I do have like a kind of a middle baseline, but also just, I know myself really well at this point. I've been racing my bike a really long time right? and it's hard to describe that like, you know, when you feel good and you know, when you don't feel good. And I don't need to necessarily, I don't need to look at my power meter to know if I'm doing that 200 watts at 155 heart rate. Like I know how that feels before I even look down. Chris takes us back with a question for Trevor and Julie. So one thing I'm hearing from both of you as coaches is that you're not just physiologists, but you're psychologists in a sense. And I'm curious in your particular case, Julie, do you are you comfortable in that role? How did you learn those tools to then uh, deliver to the athletes you work with? Where does that come from? Is it purely based on your uh, own experiences in racing, or do you, are you studying psychology to then deliver the best advice to to your riders and, and athletes? 
I think it's a mix. And again, for me, it's, this is really about relationships and just really understanding the client athlete. You know, I think that's for me, probably the most important piece of this. Like Trevor had mentioned, it's hard. You can't just go off the, the data that's in training piece. You have to understand the individual. And for the most part, the majority of my clients are busy professional professionals with families are pulled in all these different directions and really understanding the dynamics of their life. So you really do provide them with a training plan that fits into their life. That isn't like they, they receive this training plan. It's like, oh my gosh, I, I can't possibly do this. This does not fit into my life. And so I think just really having the opportunity to create that relationship with the client athlete. And then you do really find yourself, like I I joke, you know, we don't make psychologist wages, but we're definitely, I, I feel like we're just as much psychologists as, as you know, physical trainers. Um, but I do think it, it is incredibly valuable. I'm also I'm in a master's program, so it is interesting, too, just studying the psychological piece of sport and being able to apply that. So that's super fun. I, I still feel my, my biggest failure as a coach was many years ago where I was as a coach a little too focused on the numbers and and that perfect execution of I've not going to say that because we're talking about execution is a good thing but I was trying to absolutely perfect this one athlete's training but I was trying to perfect it more on the number side so I, I wanted a certain number of a certain amount of volume each week I wanted a certain TSS I wanted intervals at a certain power number and in the particular case of this athlete, we saw a lot of improvement. And halfway through the season, he gave me a call and said, you know what? I'm in my 40s. I'm a dad. I have a life. <laughs> Leave me alone. And while this is working, I'm learning to hate the bike. Mm. And it, it was a, a real eye-opener for me. Of, I completely forgot about the person here. It's funny you say that, Trevor, because I, oftentimes I, I thought about this, like, you know, I'd, I'd see these training plans that, that were put out by some coaches. And, you know, I thought to myself, gosh, I don't know if I trained that hard when I was training for world championships, you know? And I think there's like, sure, there's this like physiologic ideal, you know, like kind of the textbook. But then I think, does the athlete have the emotional or mental capacity to tolerate that training? And, you know, maybe they do for whatever, three months or six months or but then I just can't, you know, like in most cases, it probably leads to burnout. And, and again, I think with the majority of folks I train, like I think it's harder than being a professional athlete because they do have all these other stressors in their lives that just bleed over. You know, there's not this hard stop when they walk out the door of, of the office. So they're contending with all these other demands on their energy and you know, I just like, I'm so, I'm in such admiration of these folks that I train that they have the energy, you know, to do this. But it's, but again, it's keeping that balance, like not making this feel like another job to them, but making it like we're riding bikes. It should be fun. It should be this positive outlet. And I think keeping that balance again of, okay, what is that physiologic ideal with like, again, what each individual can mentally or emotionally tolerate. I think is important. You know, this was something I was taught and took me a long time to understand from my, my mentor, Glenn Swan, 
his training was was very very simple we had a tuesday night training race that lasted about 50 minutes we had a thursday night time trial uh during the season he would then race on the weekends uh during the the bay season he would just go out and do long rides on the weekend and all his other riding was just super easy this is before i had heard about polarized training or really understood any of the concepts of training and it just floored me because this guy was a multi-time national champion he destroyed all the local races and you look at that and go that's really not very hard training and i asked him about it i said how are how are you winning because everybody it seems like a lot of other athletes here are training much harder and he goes that's half of how i'm winning i show up on the weekends fresh they show up on the weekend chronically overtrained and tired and they might actually if they were fresh be stronger than me but they never show up to the race fresh i think you know again kind of just the the value of a coach it's it's really that ability to keep you know keep reminding the athlete of that big picture the perspective and i think the rest part and you guys have talked about this at length but that is the the toughest sell is uh, just convincing athletes that rest is training well it's also it's again where's the the mental focus and if you are a racer and, and you're focusing on and, and you're you have races that you're targeting but you're either consciously or subconsciously making the numbers the goal you end up ultimately making some interval session on a wednesday night your target that destroys you and then when you actually get to the race which you claim is your target you're you're too tired mm -hmm. we did a really good job having a discussion about the dynamics of coaches and athletes and the psychology of of that uh, relationship with Neil Henderson and Rebecca Rush for for those that want more about that conversation check out that episode so Julie let's dive a little bit deeper into that question of what all good coaches know about the mental side of training it is it's understanding each individual athlete and i i feel you know everybody operates from probably like different norms in terms of you know what their what their motivation is is it is it a little bit intrinsic more extrinsic little extrinsic more intrinsic but i do feel that now what do you mean by by intrinsic and extrinsic intrinsic meaning it's something more internal something more like what you're you're driven by something that's it's important to you versus extrinsic maybe just like I don't know, maybe kudos on Strava. I don't know. It's maybe something like that, like more, so, like more the social uh, accolades. I, I guess would be considered more the extrinsic. But anyway, I just think if 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 an athlete can tap more into that intrinsic, like why, like, and for me, it's just it's like that that idea that I think cycling is such a great outlet. You know, whether we're in a profession. Uh, or whatever our walk of life, that it's that thing that we own. And, you know, business, I think, is is blurry and other people's decision or indecision can often like skew outcomes. But I think like having the bike is that thing we can still own. And it's like we go work, we train hard and we see these results. And, you know, I think the bike is this opportunity to like constantly self-challenge ourselves, challenge ourselves. And continue to learn and improve. And so I think like having that 
kind of approach, that perspective, it keeps the bike really healthy. I also think like having different goals. So it's not just podiums, but there's, there's different goals along the way. So some, sometimes people refer to like process goals where maybe we focus on doing our training better with better intention, better execution, that sort of thing. Performance goals. So like, for example, a, a cyclocross race, you know, we think about, okay, each lap I'm going to ride it better, smoother, better, you know, better technique, uh, str- st- strategically ride it better, tactically ride it better. Those, those intermediary goals that, you know, if we really put the focus there, the results happen and it really, it takes the pressure off. I also think like if we can think about races more as just these wonderful feedback mechanisms, like there's nothing better than racing to give us that great feedback. I, I think it's the best way to learn. And, you know, I think it, it takes the pressure off because in, in a race, like the best way you, when you try, you learn. And I think just keeping it that way that there's no failures, but I think sometimes like we can be, we can learn much more from a disappointing performance and that can fuel the motivation much more than, than a good, than a good performance. So, so those are, those are some things, um, that, that I think about. And then I also think, again, kind of goes back to just better understanding each individual and kind of how they tick and, you know, kind of back to our, our initial conversation of trying to find this balance between numbers and maybe going more by feel. You know, I, I have clients that don't want anything to do with data. They simply want to go up perceived exertion. Then I have the other extreme of, you know, often use like a software engineer that who I work with and their, you know, whole life is about data and they they bring that to the bike. So I think in both those cases, trying to help those athletes find more of a middle ground, like for the perceived exertion athlete, like there are great, you know, great times and places to incorporate more data, like on those structured workouts give you more that the numeric target. And then, you know, for that software engineer, try to help them, encourage them to divorce themselves from the data on those endurance days and just go ride your bike and have fun and make it an adventure and go explore. And so just trying to kind of bring each person to more of that middle ground. I have an athlete that's absolutely obsessed with the numbers. Uh, I, I kind of fight them a bit to get them mm-hmm. to be a little more let, let's go on feel let's not be so right. focused on the numbers where chris can tell you who rate, rode for years without a heart rate or, or power when i have somebody who's all rpe i go let's let's put a power meter on you let's put mm-hmm. a heart straight out strap on you and let's let's get a little more numbers so it's kind of whatever they're into i push them the other way and it's, it's i like the way you put it it's it's find that balance when you're working with somebody and you're setting um, some some of these goals to to help motivate an athlete, you want to set up goals that are attainable so that they're set up for success rather than setting somebody up for failure time and time again because successes bring about confidence. And I wonder if you uh, if you're working with somebody who's maybe new to the sport, you set goals that are relatively achievable so that they gain some confidence pretty quickly and they use that to um, sort of stepwise progress in the sport. But as somebody is at a more, somebody that's at a more elite level, you might 
create uh, goals um, to motivate them that are a little bit more difficult to achieve to give them something to to strive for is that is that true I think it's a great point and I think in both cases you obviously want to create those those goals that are achievable so but but yeah I, I think that's that's true and it's finding that balance of like where, where how far can you stick the carrot out but also you know even for the elite athlete making sure like they're super honest with evaluation of their performance because I still think that's that's really important. Um, you know, I know for myself when I was racing in Europe, I, I maybe almost to a fault, like my my whole like career, I, I I felt like it was more important to feel like you left it all out there, and I feel like in that way, like the results came. But I think having that that willingness to just leave it all out there and like in a performance when you're in a pivotal section of a race and like maybe a little doubt creeps in and you just, you run through that doubt as opposed to running away from it. Like to me, those are, those are valuable. And that's important that the, the athlete really still, even at that elite level is evaluating their performance because in bike racing, there are so many factors involved and, you know, you can feel awesome, invincible, but just some something out of your control gets in the way of that result. Or, you know, you did, you left it all out there mentally and physically. To me, that that's still a success. So I think, you know, to your point, Chris, I think it is, it's important to have those little stepping stones and, and then obviously really challenge that more elite athlete. But I still think it's important for that elite athlete to have those, these, these kind of stepping stone goals to to those result goals. You brought up something that to me is very, very important. It's a distinction that not everybody makes, but a very important distinction. There is a difference between performance and results. And I think if you talk to any experienced cyclist or, or athlete and you ask them what were their best performances mm -hmm. and what were their best results, they're probably going to tell you about different events. Mm -hmm. But what's important here is to remember that you have control over your performance. You actually have very little control over your results. You could be having the performance of your life and it just happens that you, you went back to grab a water bottle at the moment that the winning breakaway went away and, and you just lost a, a podium. You could be in the winning move and, and just a couple miles away from the finish and you get a flat tire. And again, you don't get the, the result that you wanted, but your performance was great. So I love that you brought up the importance of having performance goals and not just results goals. Because results, you, you have a lot less control over them than you think. You have complete control over your performance. And that goes back to what we were talking about with numbers is I think a lot of people like to make the numbers the goals because that's very, very results oriented. Yeah. And I think when you have these other intermediary goals along the way, it keeps the experience positive. And then, you know, if it's positive, you're going to keep coming back for more. Armando Mastrossi is the creator of Xert training software. While a lot of engineering has gone into his tool, one of his focuses is to allow the riders to just ride without focusing on the numbers and let the software find the valuable information. What I think is amazing in terms of what's happening today is that we're seeing a greater proliferation of athletes now with uh, training with power. Now, with the price of power meters starting to decline 
as well as the interest in, in winter cycling. So we're seeing a, a growth of, of individuals now uh, using trainers indoors, as well as you know these virtual environments like Zwift, which are becoming extremely popular. And all of these are based upon power. So all of these market forces are really bringing a lot more individuals into the into the market in terms of uh, wanting to train with power. And what's what's different about these is that they're not necessarily really competitive athletes. They're not necessarily professional or, or you know, uh, looking to be the, the top racers in the country. A lot of these are very much recreational cyclists, right? So they're just, they want to use power just to stay fit, right? They want to use power to kind of track their progress. That's different, right? When, you, when you're looking at what software needs to do, Right. So software has always been characterized by and how do we use the tools so that we can better analyze all the data for these top athletes. So they're usually in the hands of either sports scientists or really the enthusiasts who are really into examining the data. Those were the original kind of targets for the use of power data and for interpreting it. But now that this become a, it's started the greater proliferation of power data and power meters, we've got to start to look at how do we provide uh, information about their own fitness and their own progress within the software without having to dive into all of the analytics per se that are currently available. So this is kind of what we focus on within our software is how do we make the application and understanding of the power data something that's more accessible to a broader range of people. So as an example, individuals who, you know, they're not going to do FTP tests on a, on a regular basis, right. yet they still want to track their, their progress. Right. So, so we, you know, we provided a tool that allows them to kind of track how well they're improving and how well they're progressing. So this is a really, really important, I think, for the greater, greater population. Another, one of the other key things that I'd like to add, though, is that, and Ned kind of talked a little bit about this in your last podcast, which was kind of cool, which was that training's got to be fun. Mm -hmm. Right. And a, a, a lot of people who are looking to train, not, they don't necessarily want to follow the rigorous program that would be provided by, let's say, a very static training plan or from a coach, per se, who's going to be very uh, specific about the training that, that's going to be prescribed and how it's got to be followed. So they really want to see how they can use the power data to give them uh, sort of a, a visual and understanding of how well they're how well they're training and what kind of training they can do to improve without the, the structure necessarily um, that you would see within a professional athlete, for example, these athletes have other lives, they work, they travel, they've got to have a system in place that's going to accommodate their kind of variability that they have in their life. And so I think that's another aspect that we're going to have to start to see in software is something that's going to be more accessible to a broader range of people, something a little more adaptive, yet still provide direction and guidance and improvements and, and, and the visualization of those improvements. So, Chris, we are growing. We're expanding. We are no longer fast, just fast talk. We are now fast labs. That's the new business. And part of the reason for the, this different name is we want to offer camps here in Colorado, here in Boulder. And we are partnering with CU Sports Center. That is one of the top facilities in the world when it comes to bike fit, physiological testing, coaching, all these different services that are normally just reserved for the, the, the best of the best, the elite. So if you're as excited about these camps as we are, go to our website, www.fastlabs.com. Check us out. We have three camps in 2020. 
one the last few days of April, first few days of May, one in June, and one in August. Check out fastlabs.com, enter fastlabs2020 as the discount code, and receive $500 off a purchase at this performance experience training camp. Let's shift our focus a little bit to that big picture, keeping the big picture in mind when you're, when you're doing your workouts, uh, the, the season long big picture or, or career long big picture for that matter, the importance of that. Julie, what are your impressions first to, to sort of give an overview of, of the importance of the big picture? I think it's always, it's important just to continue to, you know, bring the the client kind of out of the weeds and and keep maintaining that that picture that big that big picture and also just continue to keep reminding the athlete of the why and and the connection of like why they're doing things you know one day workouts or the phases of of the workouts because or the phases of of the training um i just I think that's the the best way to have that intention and that purpose, which are invaluable to the infect the effectiveness of of the training. I think the the purpose is incredibly important, um, and that's a word I love to use. Uh, I see this with athletes where they'll they'll buy a program or or they'll they'll get on board some sort of pre built uh, program that they can play on their TV in front of the trainer. And they'll, they'll say, you know, look at my numbers, look at my, my power, look at what I've been executing. And, and they're quite proud of it. And yeah, they're putting out good numbers and doing the work. They should be proud of that. But if you ask the question, what's the purpose of this? What are you trying to accomplish? And they can't answer that question. There's a real danger there. And, and one of the biggest issues that, that I see crop up as a coach is athletes will will hit all the numbers, do all these workouts, and ultimately hit their peak form at a point in the season when they don't care and when they get to a target event or something that they really care about, they're they're starting to push burnout. Not just executing the workout is important, but knowing what is the purpose of this workout, how does it fit within the bigger picture is always important to the point that I've told all my athletes, if you ever go out to do a workout and you can't answer the question, why am I doing this workout? Turn around, go home, give me a call. <laughs> it seems to me like there's there's multiple layers an athlete needs to be aware of and a coach needs to be aware of at any given time. There's the daily layer, there's the weekly layer, there's the monthly layer, there's the life layer. And they all have, they all interact with one another. Uh, they all give a greater context to what it is that you're trying to achieve at any given moment in time. Is that correct? For me, and this may be a little bit of a tangent, but but there just is not a silver bullet. And as in anything, there's never that silver bullet. And and I think, you know, I was thinking about this, like when I'm learning something, I'm new to something, it's so easy for me to really go like, oh my gosh, it's all this and just go all in on that one thing or, you know, like, so just really be, it's easy to really think in absolutes. But then I feel like the more, the more I learn, I feel like the less I know. And so, yeah, there's just all these ingredients. And 
I know it's been referred to as like the intangibles. Like, so, you know, we've talked about the, like the mental side of things and just those intangibles that lead to the, the successes. But I would agree with that, Chris. And I think the, the fun part about this is it is a process and it is like, you keep adding layers and it's, it's so fun. Like, you, you know, you don't want to throw everything on an athlete at once, but slowly add these layers in. And that's what makes it fun is we have this continual opportunity to learn and improve. So I want to give a, an example here. And I think this touches on a lot of what we're really trying to get across today. This, um, where the if you just focus on the numbers it can be an issue why the big picture is important why the timing is important so this is a, a story of a an athlete who asked me to grab a cup of coffee and talk with them uh, several years ago he was a cyclocross rider and really looking to improve his performance in cyclocross and he was doing these trainer sessions in the morning with, with the whole team and showed up to a session in January. So remember, he's cross. So his season starts early September, ends in middle of November. So he had taken a rest over December, went to the trainer sessions in January, and his FTP was significantly lower. And asked me to grab a cup of coffee with him because he was extremely concerned about this. <laughs> Yeah. So he, he told me the whole story and I went, well, so what's your first target event? And he described a race that was in late August. And I probably was a little less uh, sympathetic than I should have been, but I just looked at him and went, so what's the problem? Yeah, right. <laughs> but he was so, it's, it's the number and his FTP had dropped. So that was very concerning. And we had to have this long talk about you need to look at the big picture and it's actually a good thing that mm -hmm. your fitness has come down so that you can build it back up and, and peak for when you should peak. You don't want to be peaking in March. You're not racing in March, but this also gets to what you were talking about of really focusing on the process, really having other goals besides just these results goals, because what I get is this was discouraging for him is it's a very long time before his season and all he's seen is his numbers have dropped and if his only goal is the numbers that's very discouraging especially discouraging knowing you're not going to see your good race numbers for another six seven months mm -hmm. which makes the training hard so what we actually had to talk a lot about was setting other goals setting these interim where do you want to be by march where do you want to be by may that were a little less number centric so that he could feel he was accomplishing something and not be discouraged by the fact that he wasn't going to be seeing the sort of FTP he wanted to see until much, much later on. Are, are there any warning signs? This is, this might, this might not be a, a, a question that's very easy to answer. I'm just curious from a coaching perspective, if there are warning signs when somebody's progressing too much, too quickly, if, if you can say, oh, we need to, nobody should be progressing this fast or this much in a given season, given who, what the athlete, who the athlete is, and you can stop them or slow them down from progressing too much. Is that something that you see and deal with, Julie? When I see an athlete that's just, just too obsessed with, with the numbers, you know, like, I think that's for me, like a warning again, just kind of chomping at the bit. And, 
again, trying to pull back the reins and help them understand that this is a process and that, you know, I always think like, even though we're feeling super invincible at a certain point, we still have to have respect for the process that it's, you can't rush the process and that, you know, we still need these times of build and we still need these times of rest and we need to be as respectful of those times of rest. You know, we need to be respectful of the process. And so, for me, that's, I guess, just kind of trying to be aware of that and not, I mean, not necessarily, I think, you know, there's great stories of people that have advanced through the sport, like at an accelerated rate. So I don't think that's necessarily, you know, obviously that's not a bad thing. I think it's just more, again, keeping perspective for, for that athlete. I'm actually going to expand on that. Your point much earlier on about being the psychologist and, and looking at the mental side. When I'm looking at the timing of athletes, I actually really listen to the way they talk. I listen to um, what they have to say about the workouts because that's where I think it shows up first. Mm -hmm. And when an athlete is coming on to a peak, that's when you start hearing them talking about being invincible, how they never want to skip a workout and everything feels (laughs) great. Like it's all really positive. And you want that, but you want that at the right time. Because when I start hearing that language, I know now the timer started. Mm-hmm. Now there's, only, we there's have, a limited window here, right? And they're on the you know three four weeks from now, we're going to start hearing the oh that workout felt awful, mm-hmm. and start hearing the the signs of, of burnout. So if I start hearing that language when an athlete is way far away from any sort of target event, then I'm concerned we're off track. When we're far away from any target events, the language I want to hear is. Yeah, things are going well. I, I don't feel tired or, or really off, but I just kind of feel flat. I'm getting the workouts done. It's it's pretty good. If you ask me to take tomorrow off, whatever. You just want this kind of calm, steady. Mm. And and you want that, now I'm going to crush it. I feel invincible feeling very close to the target event. I actually just had that with an athlete this year. And uh, I hope he doesn't mind too much. I won't use his name, but use him as an example. Because we've been talking a lot about this lately. So he is a cross rider, but he also does a road season and he had some good form in the summer. But when we got to early August, um, sorry, his, his target cross races were, were middle of October, actually right when we're recording this right now. And beginning of August, I said, okay, we need to back down. Like I want you off the bike for at least a week. And then we want another week of just riding easy. I want you to I want to take all that top end off of you and then rebuild so you hit the the timing right. And he wouldn't do it. That week that I went him off the bike, he was getting calls from friends. Says, oh, I know I was supposed to be off the bike, but my friends wanted to ride, so I went out. And look how badly I crushed them. And then the following week when we tried to get back into it, it was the same thing. He kept going out with friends, and I kept saying, you are not backing down enough. I need you to back down more. And he was just feeling so invincible, he wouldn't do it. And finally. We had the conversation. I said, I am concerned. We didn't get the back down that we wanted. And you might not last to your target races. But at this point, we have no choice. So we're going to move ahead. And sure enough, the races in September, he was killing them. He was winning the races. He was flying. But now that we're at his target events, he is burnt out. Mm. I, w- I wonder, Julie, you've mentioned you've mentioned uh, a person's why multiple times now, and I wonder if you could dive a little bit into that and, and talk about what you, in an ideal world, what is the why, and 
what are some of the when it comes to someone's why what are the ones that you don't want to hear for me it just more it just generally goes back to that motivation like really why are they initially doing it in the first place and again i feel like if it's more internal it's it's important for them personally um you know and they're having fun i think like you're always going to succeed when this is a fun, I mean, there's certain days that aren't so fun, but for the majority, it's fun. Like that to me is a real, a positive why. Also, like I'd mentioned, just having like using the bike as this opportunity for self-challenge and this opportunity that you can continue to learn and improve. And it's, again, it's more of a, an internal personal motivation as opposed to, again, like, you know, just doing things to put on social media or get, get, the, get the exposure socially. Um, so I think it's just like that when we can really tap into that intrinsic, it stays positive. I really believe in those situations athletes thrive and succeed. I think that's critical just because of what we talked about earlier, which is if you are training right, there's going to be extended periods of time where if you're just looking at the numbers, you're not going to see a lot of changes. And if all you want is those quick social media hits or to post something showing some great result, it's going to be very discouraging. Where if you have what you're talking about, these intrinsic motivations, that's going to get you through these extended periods of time where you're, you're not going to see numbers. You're, you're not going to see those, those really exciting, wow, did you see that workout moments? Yeah, that comes back to perspective and knowing that you're doing this for fun. You're not, we're, for the most part, we're talking about non-professionals here. So it's not about a paycheck. It's the, the whole reason for you doing this is fun. And fun could be from results. It could be from just improvement. It could just be from the joy of being on a bike or racing against people or the community of it. But you have to keep that perspective about what it is that uh, keeps it keeps it fun. Well, and I think too, again, kind of back to the, the folks that the majority of the folks I train, train, these busy professionals, it's to me, the bike is an escape. I think it's like, you know, for, and, and, and I think that's why I really still love like structured workouts is because, you know, when I'm on my bike or, you know, when clients are on their bike, like they're thinking they're focused on that. They're not focused on the emails or the business projects they have to do when they get off the bike, but you're really present and, and, you know, focused. And so for me, like, I think the bike is, is a great escape and, and I think it provides as much, as much mental health as physical health. There's nothing better than after a rough day of work, I just come home and, and just getting on Zwift and turning the brain off and just pounding out a set of intervals. And you, I, half the time I look back, when I have this experience, I look back and go, well, that was a stupid set of intervals. Boy, I needed that because that was a rough day at work. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Exercise is really, really good medicine. Yes. And I think, I don't, just to not go on and on here, but I think, again, just big picture and and the, you know, I think, I don't know, Trevor, if you have this situation, but oftentimes I'll have people say, Hey, I want to get ready for this event in three months. And it's just like, Oh, that kind yes. of like, like, I feel like I get hit in the gut, you know? Cause it's just, I, um, I think trying to help people again, appreciate that this is a process and that it's like a consistent investment. And that's, 
that's where they're going to reap the, the greatest the greatest benefits. Um, and so, if, you know, trying to convince people if they're willing to do the year-round training that each phase has a specific objective. And, and we talk about like off season, or I guess it's now called transition season. And again, to me, it's not just, it's not just the, the physiologic adaptations that are happening during that period. It's to me as much, it's the mental regeneration and like really taking that time to like, I, I think, you know, for me, like when I would come off, like we'd be finishing world championships and I'd give myself like six weeks and I'd just go, you know, run or totally mix it up. And it was the mental regeneration that was as valuable as, as what we were doing physically during that time. But I think, you know, each, each, when you train on a year round basis, you really have the luxury of having these specific phases that, you know, can have this specific focus where like the off season is more that free flowing, you know, kind of go have fun endurance work and then some, some structured work in the gym, which provides mental and physical variety, you know, versus, and, and trying to create, like have the training feel more like a lifestyle as opposed to, if you know, someone hires you for three to six months and you're just, oh, it feels like this terrible cram session. And then people don't get that sense of really what it feels like to, to make training feel more lifestyle and sustainable versus like this big cram that often leads to burnout. There is just, there is only so much you can do in three months. Right. There are improvements, which are really your biggest improvements, which take years. They're, they're very, very slow. You, you don't even notice them until you look back over, over a few years. So I agree with you. If you go and hire a coach and say, I've got an event in three months, get me on my best form for this. The, the, the proper answer from a coach is I can get you on the best form that you can do in three months, but it's going to be far from your best form that you're capable of. It's interesting. We're, we're sitting here and uh, I think the three of us are essentially lifelong athletes, right? But not everybody is, you know, some people dabble, some people find it late in life and some people it's just a distraction. Um, some people just don't have the time. So it must be challenging working with people in a, in a, not in a bad way, but just challenging because people do want this. Oh, uh, I'm new to this. Make me better now type right. mentality. And there's only so much you can do. And if you're a lifelong athlete, you understand that if you're a, a coach, you understand that. But a lot of um, people getting into a sport for the first time or, or just dabbling in it probably don't understand the, the length of time, especially correct me if I'm wrong, but cycling seems like takes a lot of time, both on an annual basis, but you know, just throughout life to develop the, the muscle, the, the physiology, the, the know-how. You know, I would say one of the, the, biggest mistakes that I've seen in athletes, especially when they're very number focused, is they don't understand this lifelong concept. They don't understand this long-term commitment. And I will see athletes that expect to find the perfect training plan to be able to get to whatever level they want to get to in a year. And when that doesn't happen, they get frustrated. And you see them year after year after year just completely change up the training or change their coach and they never really get anywhere because they're never making that long-term commitment to exactly what you're talking about, Julia. It's in, in, doing that time in the winter to slowly build that more structural aerobic side. 
looking, you know, being more intrinsically motivated and being okay with doing a lot of work that you're not going to see the gains from in, in a while. They want numbers, they want immediate, they want it now. And when they don't get it now, they're going to find that coach or that perfect training plan that's going to give it to them. And they're just constantly changing things up and really never, they just end up spinning their wheels. There is a lot of uh, immediate feedback needs out there in terms of people that, yeah, that thrive off of encouragement in, the, in those bite-sized chunks, but c constantly, that makes sense. I often think that just reminding folks like it's trainings, like it's like anything else, any other, you know, thing that we're trying to master in life, like it, it is a process and it just takes time and patience. But again, the, the, the best way to approach it is that you, you love it for what it is, you know, that you're not just always rushing towards some end point, but you just love it for the value it brings to your, your life on a daily basis. Yeah. So again, I always kind of think about that. It's like, gosh, it's like nothing. It's like everything else in life. It just takes time. So Julie, as a, as a, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you're a fan of fast talk. So you do know that at the end of each episode, we like to give our guests and ourselves 60 seconds each to recap the show, take, give people take-homes that they can walk away with. So Julie, I'm going to start with you. What are the most important things that uh, people should take from this particular episode? I am a fan of Fast Talk. Yeah, thank um, you. And for me, it is uh, it's perspective. And I think as a coach, trying to constantly help my clients maintain that perspective and that you know, again, we all kind of operate from different different norms in terms of data or not data, but just understanding there is a, a balance to it. And that in my experience, having successful, you know, events or race race performances is much more than just simply chasing a power power number on my device during a training session. It's it's mentally connecting the dots of why why I'm doing that particular workout and then again mentally placing myself in, in that event where, where I feel like I get so much more um, effectiveness out of the training. I think it's also really valuable to oftentimes just keep keep reminding yourself why you're doing it, you know, like what's what's your well, why is it important and valuable for you? Um, and, and keep it positive and that it's a an opportunity for self challenge and the ability to learn and improve. And, and also it's it's like we're riding our bikes. We should keep it fun. Trevor, what do you think? Oh boy, there was so much in this episode that was great. It's it's going to be hard to boil this down, but I think I'm going to go with an analogy. And please understand, I do not have a business degree. You hear about these businesses that get obsessed with their quarterly numbers. And, and every quarter, it's just about giving good numbers so that they look good. My understanding is that's not in the long run a healthy way to run a business. It's not that the numbers are bad. You need to watch your numbers. Numbers are very important. But when you obsess over them and obsess over them in the short run, your business gets unhealthy. The healthy businesses are the ones that have a purpose, a long-term goal. And sometimes that even means in the short run, the numbers are going to get bad. But knowing that they're heading in the right direction. So I see training very much the same way. Businesses need those numbers. Numbers are very valuable. But if you just focus on them in the short run, you get in trouble. Chris? Well, I think I need to make or I want to make two, two points. First of all, 
I like to think of the multiple layers of training in terms of the chronology, but also in terms of complexity in, in a sense. You've got daily workouts, you've got weekly goals, you've got monthly goals, you've got target races, and all of these these uh, factors and, and, and um, things that you're doing kind of work in an, I kind of hate to say it, but an ecosystem. It's a buzzword these days, but they all have to be taken into uh, consideration when you're thinking about that big picture. And it sounds like it might be complex, but that's why you sh just need to step back and take a, a long-term view, a wider view of where it is you're trying to get to. I think that also feeds into my second point, which is keeping a good perspective on your why, your purpose, your motivation. There's a spectrum here. There isn't so much a black and white distinction to be made between healthy reasons and unhealthy reasons. Context certainly matters, but um, you can have positive reasons, joy, um, the pursuit of excellence as your motivators, or you can have uh, somewhat negative motivators like uh, peer pressure or pressure from a parent or a coach or things like that, or just this, uh, I need to gain self-worth, so I need results, results, results. Keeping that on the healthier side of things is extremely important and uh, something you should always be considering when you're, when you're thinking about that layers of, of training. That was another episode of Fast Talk. As always, we love your feedback. Email us at fasttalk at fastlabs.com. Subscribe to Fast Talk wherever you prefer to listen to your favorite podcasts. Be sure to leave us a rating and a review. Become a fan of Fast Talk on Facebook at facebook.com slash realfast.labs. On Twitter, our handle is fast underscore labs underscore real. And on Instagram, find our profile at fast.labs. Fast Talk is a joint production between VeloNews and Fast Labs LLC. The thoughts and opinions expressed on Fast Talk are those of the individual. For Julie Young, Steve Neal, Ruth Winder, Armando Mastracci, and Trevor Connor, I'm Chris Case. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.